0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Swapbox and these are your headlines. Presidents Biden and Xi prepare for frank talks at the G20 summit in Bali. Preparing their red lines as relations between the world's two biggest economies deteriorate. We just got to figure out what the red lines are,
1: and what, we, what are the most important things to each of us going into the next two years. There's never any any um, miscalculation about what each of us, where each of us stand. And I think that's critically important in our relationship.
0: The German economy minister Robert Habeck defends blocking several high-profile Chinese investments, telling CNBC, "Berlin must diversify its economic partners."
2: All eggs in one basket um, politics. That's wrong, because we have seen with regard to the Russian war on Ukraine that uh, what seems to be a reliable partner can very, very soon turn out in a in one in one that uh, is. Um, you
3: the democrats defy a red wave holding on to senate uh, the senate with wins in arizona and nevada whilst republicans hope to secure the house senate majority leader chuck schumer hails it a historic win
0: for those of you who doubt the strength of this democracy it is not as fragile as some make it out to be the roots of democracy are deep and strong and real with the American people, as this election showed.
3: Plus the S&P 500 closing out a bumper week as beaten down tech stocks outperform whilst the shift in global sentiment pushes European equities to their best week since March.
4: The collapse of crypto exchange FTX sends shockwaves through the industry as Binance pulls deposits of FTX tokens off its platform and urges peers to follow.
0: So let's circle on this meeting. US President Joe Biden is set to meet with the Chinese President Xi Jinping in Bali. This ahead of the G20 summit. It's the leaders' first face-to-face meeting since President Biden took office. The two men are expected to talk about U.S. concerns over Taiwan and the Biden administration's moves to block semiconductor exports as well as the war in Ukraine and North Korea's nuclear ambitions. Well, speaking at the ASEAN summit in Cambodia, President Biden told reporters he knows President Xi well and that the two have very few misunderstandings. He's got to figure out what the red lines are, and what, we, what are the most important things to each of
1: us coming into the next two years, and uh, his circumstances changed. To state the obvious, at home, and uh, so we're we're going to have a we're going to have a. I think I've always had straightforward discussion. With him. There's never any any
0: um, miscalculation about what each of us where each of us stands. I think that's critically important in our relationship. Let's get out to Martin Sung, who is at that meeting for more on this story. So we're getting an indication that this is going to be a fairly frank conversation. Martin, what else do we need to hear from both of these leaders, do you think, to give the global economy some comfort as to what happens next in this relationship?
5: Good morning, Jeff and uh, Steve and also Karen. Basically, uh, I think what uh, the rest of the world will want to hear is something that would give them a bit more comfort. The tensions between the two sides are easing, uh, right? Because these talks are happening at a time when relations between the two sides are probably at the lowest they've been in the modern era, in, uh, 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 in at least in, in recent memory. Uh, so the, face, the fact that they're meeting face-to-face uh, and in person is, is a very good sign. The timing of it is interesting, Jeff. We have a con- confirmed time on this. It's going to be happening at 530 local, which is uh, Bali time, same as Hong Kong and Singapore time, which is in uh, a little less than three and a half hours from now. But the positioning of that meeting slot suggests there's not going to be much time for them to talk because they're going to be against formal engagements. This is the G20 summit with a lot of other leaders and there will be dinner involved, likely. So a lot to talk about. Yes. Uh, but it seems as though there might not be that much time to actually talk about it. Now, I have to say that expectations are not high for outcomes, and the bar has been set pretty low. You were mentioning just a few seconds ago uh, the idea of uh, uh, red lines uh, beyond which neither side should agree uh, to cross. I think of that as sort of like uh, the ropes in a boxing ring, right? For President Biden, he also suggested the idea of exploring and agreeing on a floor and uh you know uh, to continue with the boxing analogy it's sort of like queensbury's rules right uh if we are to fight and compete let's make this fair and square and play by an agreed set of rules uh after which well somebody's got to cry uh, foul uh so that's as much as we know specific deliverables that would uh, bring comfort to the rest of the world could potentially come uh, uh uh to do with uh to do with uh ukraine do you remember just uh, several days ago, we had uh, the German Chancellor Olaf Schultz in China meeting with Xi, and getting him to say on the record that uh, the issue of nuclear weapons in Ukraine being used in Ukraine, essentially by the Russians, that is just simply not on the table. And a lot of observers are saying that getting Xi to at least say that or agree to that is a bit of a character concession to the U.S. side going into these talks. So we'll see what comes out of it. And as you well know. Uh, uh, the context is both leaders come into this meeting with different uh, hands. President Xi's hand ostensibly is stronger because he emerged from he is emerging from the 20 Party Congress uh, at which he was granted an unprecedented third term as the leader of China. And people are saying that he is probably the most powerful leader there since Mao. President Biden, on the other hand, is coming into this meeting. And remember, expectations were not high. Because polls had put the Republicans uh, to sweep Congress, a red tide. It's looking more like a red ripple now. And as you were just talking about seconds ago, it seems as though the Republicans have managed to hold on to the very slim majority in the Senate. So, uh, different. Uh, positioning and different types of leverage. But in both cases, their economies are not in great shape. Obviously, China is much worse off because of continued very extreme COVID uh, measures. But uh, even in the U.S., struggling with inflation and the Fed hiking rates, uh, things are starting to crumble at the margins uh, with the housing market, for example, uh, rentals, example. So uh, they're coming into this meeting with, uh, I guess, uh, two different types of uh, weightings in, in terms of uh, in terms of leverage. So we'll have to wait and see what happens.
0: Martin, terrific. Thank you very much indeed for that. And just before we uh, wrap up on this topic, I think we've got a live shot we can give you from Bali. Uh, we'll just take a look at this um, flow of uh, dignitaries uh, meeting. Uh, this is um, Mr. Albanese, I believe. I believe
4: so. Is yes, that right? The Australian Prime Minister just touched down, as you can see, coming
0: off the plane. There you go. And that's um, about as much as we have to say about that at this point. So we'll move on and we'll come back to Bali a little bit later on as we lead you up to that important meeting.
3: German Economy Minister Robert Harbeck says he is in favour of strengthening business ties with China, but some sectors of the German economy should remain off the table. Speaking to our Asian colleagues in an exclusive interview, Harbeck said it's time for a new approach to doing business with Beijing.
2: It's important to understand that from my perspective, the German government's perspective, China is a partner and should also be for the future. And we are an open market society. There's nothing wrong with companies from China to invest in Germany and German companies to invest in China. But there's critical infrastructure. There are some sectors that are not opened for sale. And therefore, we have to change the politics in that, that areas. Some part of the health business, for example, semiconductors, also critical infrastructure, like ports, airports, and telecommunication, and energy, of course, just to name a few. And there we have changed the politics a lot. The general assumption in German law is, investment is welcome, and then the government has to, to, to search if it's not welcome. Now we are saying in these areas, money f- from abroad, the European Union is regarded skeptically. There might be some exceptions, but we have changed the prefixes. But and for the exports, the market in China, it's more or less the same. Okay, if people want to do business in China, that's fine with us. but subsidizing the businesses, giving guarantees to the businesses, state money, that guarantee uh, like all eggs in one basket um, politics, that's wrong because we have seen with regard to the Russian war on Ukraine that uh, what seems to be a reliable partner can very, very soon turn out in in one that uh, is um, hijacking you.
4: You're coming up with a new China strategy, I wonder what that
6: entails.
2: Um, in the area of trade, we will have a cap on the guarantee the state gives for the companies. So if you're going above this, the the, 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 above the investment the cap, we are talking about 3 billion euros. If you have more investments than 3 billion euros, then you can do it, but the state won't guarantee for that. And on the other hand, we will have uh, um, a percentage rate if a lot of the guarantees are in one country, this is China, of course, then you have to pay an extra fee. If you're going to another country, let's say Singapore, Vietnam, whatever, it's cheaper for you. And this will change the rules of the market. Then the companies, or the German companies, will search for other places.
4: Is there unity within your coalition on the China approach? Yes. Okay. And, and what I want to understand is that do you have enough backing from German businesses because uh, they are, it seems like, and from the reports I read, are a bit l- reluctant in reducing dependence from China.
2: Well, I would say that generally everyone agrees on a new strategy on politics that have learned their lessons. Saying we are an open market is not saying we are a stupid market. So we have to be careful. This is, a, I think, this is a common sense also among the business leaders in Germany. But of course, there are some business models that were built up the past 30 years. There were investment plans over the next decade, and for them, this change they can agree on in theory is kind of hard and and demanding. And this I this I understand and I in a way accept. But anyway, we have to do this change. So I would say on a on a broad theoretical abstract level, we are fine with that. In concrete details, we have to discuss a little bit.
4: Right, when you say, and I want to just uh, scratch that point again, when you say that there's unity on the China approach within the coalition, could you elaborate a bit more on what the thinking is between the Social Democrats, the Liberals, as well as the Greens on this matter?
2: Well, actually, once again, I think there's unity and in, in the with regard to China on an abstract level. We can easily agree on a strategy, on a theory, on a theoretical political approach. When it comes to concrete action, there might be different views. I can't promise you that we never will have an argument again at the cabinet. One example could be the port of Hamburg, where there was an interest of the Chinese company uh, Costco to buy one terminal. It's one of four terminals in Hamburg. It's the smallest one and they want to invest. 35 percent so you could argue and say well this is the smallest of four it's only 35 percent so where is the influence on the port of hamburg i see the bigger picture i say it's not only about hamburg you have to see the other european ports and then you see there are ports completely by too and then you see a dynamic that the argument in hamburg was we have to accept that because rotterdam and siebrücken netherlands and um and Belgian ports, they have also Costco investments, and then we have a rise to the top, a, a, a competition about Chinese investments. And there, I said personally, we have to stop that. So this is in concrete details. There might be different views, but everyone in the government would agree that it's not good to have Chinese investments in critical infrastructure. Saying that is not the not not a cause of argument, but looking into the concrete details causes some discussion.
3: U.S. Democrats have retained control of the Senate, fending off what was expected to be a Republican red wave in this year's midterm elections. Senate Democrats Mark Kelly of Arizona and Catherine Cortez Masto of Nevada won their respective races over the weekend, putting the Democrats in charge of a 50-50 Senate, with the Vice President Kamala Harris holding the tiebreaker vote. The Republicans are still expected to clinch the House of Representatives from the Democrats, although several races are still to be called. NBC's Stephanie Gosk filed this report from Las Vegas, where the Democrats celebrated their victory in the race for the Senate.
6: The state of Nevada is getting used to being in the spotlight during these national elections, and that was certainly the case during these critical midterms, especially with this Senate race. On election night, Republican candidate Adam Laxalt had a lead, 20,000-plus votes. But then the state started processing mail-in ballots, and that was when it started to become clear that incumbent Democrat Catherine cortez Masto actually had a chance to take this race, despite the fact that a lot of people thought she was one of the most vulnerable senators during these midterms. And then after four days of counting, it put her over the top, and she was projected the winner. In a victory speech, she held it here in Las Vegas, thanking the groups that put her over the top, including the unions and Latina. Latinos. she said that her family was especially proud of her winning the Senate race in 2016, becoming the first Latino woman to go to DC and to serve in the Senate and now they are particularly proud that she's been reelected. Back to you.
4: Coming up on the show, cryptocurrencies extend losses after the FTX collapse and what appears to be a massive weekend hack. We'll have more on that after the break.
3: Well, the U.S. markets last week, as you'll all be totally aware now because you looked at your portfolio valuation, had a solid week to the upside, and it was all down to one factor. And that is that by a decimal, and I only mean by a decimal, both core and indeed headline inflation in the United States was lower than feared, lower than expected. And as every pundit, whether you're a, 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 an FOMC member or you're an economist or, or a humble reporter have pointed out, uh, one print does not a trend make. And yet the hope was there across the entire curve uh, on the Treasuries, which got sold off aggressively. or sorry, bought aggressively And the yields came off uh, very, very aggressively. Uh, and indeed uh, on the equity market, which saw solid, big, big gains for the Nasdaq especially and for the rest of the industry as well. That actually a bit of relief on the inflation front would steady the hand of the Federal Reserve and mean that the days of the most extreme rate hikes have uh, past us. And now, of course, is over 80% expectations that it will be 50 basis points only in the December meeting. But where this so called terminal rate ends, well, that's just come down by a few basis points over the last few sessions as well. Uh, Friday was a calmer session. It was more about the fact that uh, there are hopes uh, of a lessening of restrictions and COVID in China. But it did carry on the rally that we saw in the previous sessions 1.9% higher for the Dow. In terms of this up for the NASDAQ uh, and the Dow just mildly uh, in the positive as well. In terms of the data for the coming week, where well, you've got producer prices tomorrow, which again, another important marker on inflation, retail sales, how is the US consumer holding up in the key period of the year? Uh, those data will be out on Wednesday, along with industrial production. Uh, on Thursday, Philly Fed and jobless claims. And on Friday, existing home sales as well. So some good barometers on the strength of the economy and the consumer especially in the coming sessions. Let's take a look at technology stocks uh, and where they uh, weathered on Friday again. And again, across the board, uh, big, big gains. We've seen Tesla bouncing off a 177 valuation per share. Apple having a 2% rally as well. Microsoft adding to that big rally it saw on Thursday. Uh, and even Meta, uh, a rare sight there, Meta in the green up 1%. The treasuries I mentioned, the yields coming off aggressively along the curve as well. You had like a 4.60 plus handle uh, on the two-year note earlier in the week, but after the inflation print, lessening with the underlying rallying uh, to a yield now of only 4.4%. Big move on the 10-year down to sub 4%, 3.89. Uh, and in juxtaposed in the middle there, uh, the 4% level on the 5-year. Uh, and the benchmark for the 30-year uh, mortgage rate, 4% there. And of course, the 30-year mortgage rate still pottering around the 7 percent level dollar crosses well the pound and a lot of other currencies did manage a solid rally look at that the euro well above parity at the moment 103 sterling 117.58 very big fiscal event due in coming days in the united kingdom dollar yen now look at that it was up what, 148 149 at its peak now down to 139 uh, and the dollar yuan pes uh, 7.05 is where it is trading
4: Let's take a look at the crypto market this morning to see how we were faring after the weekend's events involving FTX. And uh, late last week, you can see we are still falling this morning. Bitcoin uh, perched below 16,000, as you can see, down more than 3.5%. Ether reversing uh, losses for Dogecoin, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash. So right across the board, we are seeing Red Ink. Crypto exchange Binance says it is no longer accepting deposits of embattled rival FTX's FTT token on its platform and has urged industry peers to follow suit. In a tweet, the CEO CZ said Binance made the decision in order to avoid questionable supplies affecting the market and said his firm did not short the FTT. Speaking at the G20 summit or B20 summit in Bali, is maybe a special part of the G20? The Binance CEO called on industry colleagues to build trustworthy platforms.
3: Over the last week, um, there's so much turmoil in our industry. Um, I think, but. I want everybody to understand that that's not reflective of everything in the industry. Uh, The industry goes through ups and downs. Um, We have one or maybe even more bad players in the industry but uh, the industry is still growing. So we're still
4: building. Over the weekend, FTX said it was moving assets to cold storage after a series of what it's calling unauthorized transactions that began within hours of it lifting or filing for bankruptcy protection. Blockchain analytics firm Elliptic has found that $663 million in various tokens was drained from FTX's crypto wallets. Of that, $477 million was taken in a suspected theft while the remainder is believed to have been moved into secure storage by FTX. Meanwhile, the Bahamas is investigating the collapse of the exchange, looking at whether any criminal misconduct occurred. Jake Boyle joins us now, Director of Caleb and Brown. Jake, there are many unanswered questions at this point. Uh, Just how quickly FTX went to bankruptcy, uh, just whether there's been a hack over the weekend, how much money exactly has been stolen, and whether any of this money is coming back to some of the creditors here. But can I just ask you first to touch on this crisis of confidence and whether Contest Contagion is a real risk at this point.
1: Absolutely. So um, F- FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried, were that was considered the white knight of the crypto industry. And as a result of that, this fall from grace has caused a colossal loss in investor confidence across the board. Now, when it comes to contagion, it is expected. We saw it earlier this year with the fall of Three Arrows Capital and Celsius uh, after the Terra collapse. So that is certainly expected, and right now the major rush is, you know, not your coins, uh, not your keys, not your coins. And we're certainly feeling that and seeing that across the industry as people are waiting and carefully checking Twitter for the next updates on how this contagion may impact the industry further.
4: Jake, despite all the warning labels that this is an industry that is largely still unregulated, I still think there's a lot of shock about what's happened on behind the scenes with FTX and Alameda Research and just the open door in terms of funds shifting between these two organisations. Does that mean the industry does need to publish exactly what reserves look like and fess up if there are any arrangements like this behind the scenes?
1: I would certainly think so. And I definitely agree with that statement. Um, As a centralized company ourselves, Caleb and Brown, we take the approach where every company that operates in this space should have 100% fully backed reserves. So all of your customer liabilities should be covered by assets in cold storage. In addition to that, every asset that you do have from a customer needs to be backed one-to-one, and you should only be using your internal company working capital for liquidity to execute transactions. Now, in this case, there was a lot of vague gray areas between the relationship between the two companies. And in this fall from grace, all of a sudden now there is this major push towards proof of reserves, looking at our information on chain. And we're certainly in support of that motion, and we hope that regulators will be too.
3: Sorry, Jake. Why would I trust a word that a lot of these individuals and companies publish? Surely it can all be manipulated. It can all be faked. And uh, there's been a lot of that already in the industry, in the collapsed companies. Why would I trust any of these companies to publish accurate reserve figures?
1: Well, I believe that what that does come down to is regulation. There needs to be a standard to which everyone operates, uh, a clean basis to which every centralized cryptocurrency business needs to adhere to if they wish to continue to operate. Now, DeFi is a whole other sector altogether. But when it comes to centralized companies, you're absolutely spot on. You can't just take the word of somebody on Twitter, regardless of how well their PR campaign has positioned them. There needs to be uh, third parties. There needs to be a regulatory standard to which we can confidently say as investors that we trust the reserves of this company.
3: Should I trust the major players left in the industry? Should I trust a word any of them say?
1: Great question. I believe, uh, and our industry, our company also stands for, the idea that if you can't withdraw your coins and you can't take custody of your own assets, that in and of itself is as red as a flag can get. So with that being said, we often tell our clients and people in the industry, if you're confident in your own cold storage, absolutely make sure that you're holding your own assets and if you can't do that then make sure you have confident in the confidence in the firm that you're trading with if you do that then you're not putting yourself out there right now the contagion event is yet to unfold at full and if you go across Twitter there are numerous major exchanges who are starting to get a bit of a withdrawal crunch and maybe tested shortly
0: yeah it's fascinating I was reading over the weekend Jake this Wall Street Journal piece on cryptocom where there seemed to be some issue uh, with with Withdrawals now, and as you point out, um, contagion is a real risk for this sector at the moment. Given that you have a, a role in the industry as well, are you able to tell us whether you've seen any immediate hit over the last few days on the level of transactions?
1: Great question. So, obviously, the crypto.com news is quite prolific given the size of that exchange, you know, they're not all that far off the size of FTX by many measures. Now, with our experience and and my role within the industry, so we service about 25,000 customers. So we certainly have far less customers in these major exchanges. But because we speak to the clients one by one with our brokerage model, what we've found is, there is a ton of consumer confidence, which has been devastated by this space. And as a result of that, people are asking the questions that maybe they weren't asking during the bull market. What kind of security practices do you use? How does your company hold your coins? Can I withdraw my coins right now, this second? Um, and our job is just to make sure that we can facilitate whatever the clients need. And that's what we've been doing. Uh, I hope that other companies within the industry can do the same. But uh, as I mentioned before, it's going to be a curious few days of this contagion event